0: On the Sports Network.
1: I mean, it's about time somebody recognized that besides me, and I'm glad that Dwayne the Rock Johnson agrees with my thoughts on the sidekick. Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher. Sandos and the sidekick, just a very special preview before the Alabama game and actually normally takes place in the studio. But uh, if you haven't heard, I'll be doing the game from Wildwing Cafe, one of our coaches' shows normally on Monday nights. And just to do a nice little walkthrough, sitting right here to do the podcast with Mike Gallagher back in the studio. Mike, how you doing?
0: Well, let's see if we can keep all this straight. So you usually do the game from an arena. You're going to be at Wild Wing Cafe to do the game watching on a monitor. I usually sit back in studio and record the pregame chat with you and Coach Shea while you're at the arena while I'm in studio. I had to record the pregame chat with Jason Shea in studio while you're not at the arena but at Wild Wing Cafe. Am I right? That That is
1: correct. That that, that is correct. Uh, Everything's going to be a little different than what we normally do. And um, instead of having Coach Shea try to call in day of, uh, it made sense. So he was near the studio and you were there and I was not at that time. Go ahead and knock out the interview. Plus, the other thing is, if there is some – now, I don't foresee any issues. We usually uh, normally run an hour radio show without uh, a whole lot going on. So I don't foresee anything. But if there is something to go on, it could turn into Mike Gallagher calling the game. Um, from the studio on a monitor, as opposed to me calling a game on a monitor. So we'll see how this goes. Never done that before in my career. I guess technically, the TV broadcast against Presbyterian, I was remote, and I guess I don't know if that counts uh, as one or not. But that's TV. It's a little different. There's pictures. There's other things going on. The, the radio side of it. Plus the other thing is with the production crew, when it was something went on with like reviews, I could ask, say, hey, somebody ask. Our replay guy, what's going on, and they can get the message back to me. I got none of that going on. I know Kevin Brown's going to be down in Tuscaloosa, the Sports Information Director, Head of Communications for Men's Basketball, and I'm assuming he will text and let us know what's going on. But there is a, a, a possibility of, of having some things happen where you may not be sure what's going on. We'll try to do the best, and the best part for me, Mike, is I get to do it with ETSU fans, and they get to watch and react as I get to watch and react.
0: That's going to be really awesome. I'm excited for our next show, which is going to be Wednesday, and it's actually going to do a pros versus jays of you calling the game off a monitor, whether it be the Presbyterian women's game down in the Wharf Pickle studio on campus or more applicably here if it's the game at Wild Cafe, ETSU, Alabama, the last game. ...that Alabama played was against Western Kentucky, and the broadcasters had a little bit of an issue with the final, let's say, 20 or so seconds of the game. I'm not going to spoil it. People may have already seen it. I want to hear your experience, and hopefully you're not in the same position as they were that night, late on in this game. Hopefully the Bucks are up by a tremendous amount, and it doesn't come down to... The last, uh, the last couple of seconds or a perhaps goaltending call, uh, a graphics issue, a live stats not refreshing, so on and so forth. Whatever went into the end of the Western Kentucky and Alabama game. But Pros vs. Jays on Wednesday, also recap of Alabama ETSU, recap of the women's basketball games this past weekend, which were heartbreaking to say the least, and then bold predictions as well. So that's going to be a big Wednesday show, Jay. I am extremely excited for, obviously, Pros vs. Jays, uh, while also talking about all that other stuff, but specifically, as you know, anytime I can make fun of you, especially in Pros vs. Jays.
1: Yeah, I kind of kind of felt like that's where you're going with that. I don't know if you're going to circle back to the making fun of, but you did. Well, so here, gonna, here's what I'll say, though. Play.
0: Here's what I'll say. I would not wish the situation they were in on my worst enemy, let alone my boss, who partially signs my paychecks, let alone someone I work with every day, let alone someone that I host a podcast with. So, I am not wishing that on you i am interested to see your experience and your thoughts because as you said for someone that's been doing it for more than 20 years now to be in a new situation is pretty unusual and the fact that you are i think is great fodder and at least picking your brain at it is going to be interesting to me
1: i think the only thing uh, and i thought this was going to, have to happen the other day and it may happen to you at some point but i was thinking the one thing that was going to happen was a situation with al- um uh, not at Alabama, but TV side because we had a couple camera guys out. And one time in high school football, we had an issue uh, with a camera guy. at Halftime got sick, some another, and I was calling the high school game on a scissor lift. And so we're sitting there, and the game's starting, but this—that was the top camera, the cover camera, the number one camera you have. And so we couldn't find it, whatever. So I figured out how to run the scissor lift and got it to go up and ended up wearing two headsets, one (laughs) to hear what I'm supposed to do on camera and one to call the game with my partner who was on another scissor lift to my left because that was the talent one I should have been on. So I actually ran top camera and did play-by-play, and I thought for a second we were shorthanded. That was something that you may have to do, and I've done that before, and I would love to um, see how you would have juggled that because that is obviously very – uh, trying and entertain because it's funny, the, the director, and, and, and in our case, this time would be Stephen May, uh, you know, will forget at some point that you're the talent and will start screaming at you to get a shot, and you really can't talk back to them. And so it's always entertaining. But, anyways, I, I thought I've done that before, and if you get to do that, that would be a great fun segment for us to talk about at some point. I hope you don't. I hope you just get to focus on uh, just handling the play by play duties for men's basketball and not have to worry about that. But if it comes down to it, uh, certainly as broadcasters, you know, we don't get enough credit, Mike, for adapting and overcoming, right? I mean, people talk about things. I mean, I don't think they realize how many times we get paper cuts and hangnails and things that happen during the broadcast and we just get bandaged up and keep going.
0: Well, I can tell you that I have done PA and play-by-play for many broadcasts back in the old Division Three days up in Minnesota. I have never had to run a camera and do play-by-play at the same time. I feel like it wouldn't be that big of an issue outside of like you said the people screaming in your ear and if you don't have a big enough mo- like if you only have the flip screen off the camera to call the game on because you're trying to get a shot obviously so you're going to be looking at your lens on the camera you're not going to be able to look up and see what's going on in real life you're going to have to have this tiny little screen and so if you don't have a big enough monitor that could be very difficult and yes all the screaming i don't like the screaming jazz you know
1: no no you don't do well with it the, i do though I, you know ex-military guy and all that good fun stuff Let's talk about screaming, by the way. Hopefully there's enough screaming fans at uh, Wild Wing Cafe tomorrow as we're taping this on a Monday. I, just, I don't know if it's going out Monday night or Tuesday morning, but either way we're taping it Monday night as I'm getting ready for the coaches show to try to make sure all the equipment everything's going to work for our Tuesday broadcast. And this Alabama team, as you kind of foreshadowed, that crazy ending of the Western Kentucky game. West Kentucky uh, ends up uh, leading by two, forces a shot late, dribbles out, picks up the win, 73-71. And it goes back to sort of what I think I've been harping on, and, and more people are starting to uh, come around to my way. I know I've had a few Twitter exchanges with fans that are like, hey, keep talking about the road team, blah, blah, blah. But you're seeing it. It, it, it. It's evident that road teams have an advantage, and I think it will be an advantage to ETSU to go down there and not have to deal with a full crowd. And I think it's hard for the home team that's used to having that and used to having a little bit of energy, a little bit of mojo, what, whatever it is, the extra juice in the building, I think it's a, a very uh, thing that is causing home teams to struggle, and I'm hoping it continues again. On Tuesday, you can say, well, Western Kentucky, maybe we needed them to win that game so that you have a game where maybe you could sneak out on somebody. Now you may get an angry Crimson Tide team, and that certainly could be the case, but I certainly believe that ETSU is in much better shape going down there with no fans as opposed to if it was in a regular season.
0: Well, we don't have to look far to prove your point. I mean, it was, what, uh, I think at this point we're taping it maybe 24, maybe 48 hours ago, uh, 48 hours ago on Saturday when ETSU men's basketball was taking on Lee and the university is a division two side, a program on the rise at that level. And I know you don't want to talk about this game. I know Buck fans don't want to focus on it much. I know Jason Shea didn't really want to talk about it with you after the game either. It was an ugly, ugly performance specifically offensively, but I thought defensively at times too, that Princeton offense gave ETSU fits. A lot of that is I think communication and being able to focus in on what someone is doing on the court next to you and, and, ETSU, when you make a run, and this is what a lot of people have talked about when it comes to home crowds, and, and Jason Che mentioned it with you on the postgame show on the Buccaneer Sports Network on Saturday, the runs just aren't as big. So ETSU made a number of runs themselves on lead. They opened the game on, I think it was a 7 nothing run. I think it was 7 nothing, and then Landman hit that long three, and, and it was kind of game on after that. When the first seven went down for ETSU, for me it was here we go again. They're going to blow out. Lee, like they blew out Columbia International, I think it was the first 13 or 16 for the Bucs against CIU on Thursday, just 48 hours earlier. It was mano y mano, it was deja vu, it was, this is going to be a long couple hours to call a game, but I'm happy because the Bucs are going to run away with this one and have loads of confidence going into Alabama. Would that game have gone down the same way that it did if there were three, four, five thousand 4 5,000 ETSU screaming fans inside Freedom Hall? I certainly don't think so. Uh, the Bucks just offensively could not get it going. They didn't hit their free throws. They didn't rebound, which was really the extremely concerning thing to me. Um, I'm not putting all of what happened on Saturday on the fact that the building was empty. I think there were some things that Jason Shea needs to address. I think he knows that. He is working through things with a largely new team. Uh, but to your point, it is a lot easier to go on the road, feel confident, look around and see an empty building and realize this isn't all that much different than we're scrimmaging ourselves, than games we played against teams at our level. This is not a quote unquote step up. The intimidation isn't there, right? You can talk yourself into a lot of things when the atmosphere isn't any bigger than it would be on a game day for yourself. So I absolutely agree that it can cut both ways. When ETSU's at home, Lee gave them a challenge. They had the lead. It was 51 to 50 or 50 to 49 or whatever it was uh, with about seven or eight minutes left. And or maybe even less than that. And so when you go on the road and you're going to face Alabama, um, it's an SEC school. It's not necessarily one of the most story basketball programs around. They've got second-year head coach Nate uh, Nate Oates. Uh, I mean, they're not exactly the most intimidating side that you're going to come across when it comes to a Power 5 level. But that being said, it's a bigger building. There's usually more fans. There is a desire to win there. But all of that can kind of fade away when you have an empty building and you look across from you and say, this is just a basketball game with another basketball team.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, it's – you look at it, and I've, I've tried to talk to people, I've tried to talk them off the ledge, as, as I did early in the season. I think this is going to be uh, – defensively, they're still there. I mean, they're still doing what they need to do. Defensively, they're holding Division One teams, not Division One. I. I mean, they're doing everything they can there. When will the offense catch up to the defense? And that's sorta of the magic question that Jason Chase kind of you could hear it in the post game kind of maybe questioning himself, like when is this? Because, you know, I've always prided myself on being the X and O's guys, but we did harp so much on defense that they they have done what we're asked defensively. I can't seem to figure out how to get, you know, shots to fall for guys because I think they're getting good looks. I thought they got a lot of good looks, you know, down at Fort Myers all the way through the, the last contest. And I don't know. I, I was hoping, and they did. The, and obviously, it's a different competition, and you will never convince fans. But going up against the NIA versus Division Two is a huge step up. Is Division Two Division One? No. You know, could Lee give some of the lower Division One teams fits and pick up a couple wins? You know, given the right situation, they probably Absolutely. could. Yeah. But I think the last couple times the Bucks have struggled. So Lee's McRae was the last time the Bucks single-digit win versus Division Two. That was right after the Bucks won three straight in the Pentagon Classic. I think two of those three teams went to the tournament. They only lost in a championship game. I had to go back and look that up, but certainly they played good competition and won all three. Came back, had a couple of days rest, and then played, you know, Lees McRae, and then in a blue, are winning that by I think eighty-five eighty. That was the twenty-seven win team with T.J. Cromer and those guys that went on to the NCAA tournament. So, so they were fine. So I don't know that I'd read too much in to the single-digit win. Also, I was like, well, I really don't like playing non-Division 1 teams before you play a Power 5. Well, you just look at last year, ETSU hammered Milligan, beat LSU. And the last time they played two non-Division 1 teams, they played a Power 5 team and lost by single digits at the Power 5. Mm-hmm. So there's plenty of, of, of examples. And I want to say there was also the time before LSU that they played a non-Division 1 was the Xavier game, which I don't like to bring up, which – you know that was the the hefty second half lead. Uh, was it blue? Michael Blewett, went out his name? It's it, uh, right. Ended, ended up picking up the the shot towards the end to, to carry Xavier from the come from behind win and. I can't remember who was, was
0: definitely Blewett and Blewett. He did not that day.
1: He did not. And and Canner, Enos Canner's brother, hit the on three in the corner, and it was brutal uh, to watch the end of that game. But anyway, well, you know, was the better team well. that day. Right, well, and, and got a lot more respect because they had no respect going into it. But I my point is is I don't know that I would read into these struggles here into you go to Alabama and get hammered because you played Lee. I just looking the last you know, really even going back to some of the Bartow years, it really there's no correlation there. The last time ETSU played Alabama, I remember very vividly it was December first, two thousand and four. And the only reason I remember that date exactly is because at pregame, game you mail, know, I got a phone call from my mother who was in shambles because her mother, my grandmother, had passed away. And so I took that phone call right before. And then other than that, I don't really remember a whole lot other than Dillion Sneed lost his mind and had like a 30-20 and 20 game. And so Dillion's now the director of basketball ops at UT Martin, a broadcasting uh, major, did a lot of work. Matter of fact, he was one of the few guys I had that would actually run camera during a women's game doubleheader. For the first half and then go back and suit up and get ready to play basketball second half of course when you're 6'9 and you know 265 you certainly can handle running a camera for a half but um, talk to Dylan all the time and it's one of his best games and I will remember that but it was a not a good outcome for the Bucks. they got hammered pretty good that day against Alabama and that was the last time I believe ETSU has played down in Tuscaloosa on the basketball court so it would be good to see there it's a nice arena wish I would be there it's not going to happen But the Crimson Tide's had a little bit of struggles, and Nate Oaks has brought in, you know, a couple different guys to try to help out. I think the most interesting one is seeing uh, Jordan Burner. He ended up having 14 points last game, but he was first team all Ivy League, all academic, by the way, at Ivy. uh, Comeback player of the year in 2019, fourth in Yale basketball history in block shots, and he recorded the first ever triple-double. And so they've got him sort of – roaming the middle at six foot ten, He's had his struggles, but the last uh, last two games, Furman and then the last game uh, against West Kentucky, he's starting to figure out how to put the ball in the basket, and I think that's an issue if he continues to get better and better to go with Herbert Jones and Jaden Shackelford and a few other guys that they've got that can shoot. And they have a balanced attack. they got four or five guys that can easily put up double figures. I don't think they've had less than three guys in double figures in any game this year, so it's a team that – Wants to be where ETSU is, Mike. They want to have four or five guys in double figures. You really can't take somebody out of the game. The problem is for ETSU, it's a struggle to get the third guy, sometimes even the second guy, in double figures.
0: Yeah, three of their top four scorers are back. It's Shackleford, John Petty Jr., and Alex Reese. Six nine two thirty is Reese. He's coming off the bench this year after being a starter last year. He's getting less opportunity because Herbert Jones has nearly doubled his scoring output, leading Bama scoring. Largely inside the arc, but he can step outside as well. He's 6 from 11 from outside. So don't sleep on the fact that he will probably take one or two threes in that contest on Tuesday, and you're going to have to get a hand in his face. Petty Jr. was their best shooter last year. This is kind of a theme throughout the roster right now. He's struggling from outside, and this whole offense... They're averaging less than seven points per game, or I should say seven less points per game than last year, down 3% from the field, down 5% from three. Petty Jr. was a 44% outside shooter last year, 13 of 46 from deep this year. That's just 28%. Uh, Javon Quinterly, who had four straight double-figure games, he's slowed down lately. He was ineligible last year after transferring from Villanova, team leader in assists this year, and tied for most efficient shooter with Josh Primo, who has been the team's high-scoring sub and best three-point shooter of guys that have taken more threes than Jones has with just the one-and-a-half per game. Bruner, the one that you pointed out, he is a really intriguing graduate transfer because he's savvy and smart, as you can tell, all academic at Yale and everything. On the court, also savvy and smart leads the team in blocks and steals, but also free-throw percentage, 6'10", 225. You know, you, you see a lot of these 6'7", maybe 6'8", 200-pound athletes, but he's even bigger than that, larger in terms of weight and height. 6'10", 225, as you mentioned, top 10 in Yale history in rebounds and blocks. And so that's someone, and he can also shoot the 3-2. So Jones and Bruner are going to step outside the arc, probably take a couple of threes each, and you can't just defend inside 15 feet against them. They're going to stretch you no doubt so add that to Shackelford add that to Petty Jr. Reese if he can find some of his form from last year Quinterly who is as we mentioned making his debut this year he's been solid you know depth I think is a concern for Bama the only other guy you're probably going to see is James Rojas and others have appeared but very sparingly Rojas though uh, he is struggling as well Uh, Shooting like 31% from the floor, 23% from outside. Really, this team's seven deep, in my mind. Herbert Jones, Jaden Shackelford, Petty Jr., Javon Quinterly, Josh Primo, Jordan Bruner, Alex Reese. if they don't figure it out offensively, because this is a team that, as you know very well, Jay, and as the college basketball world has become accustomed to with Alabama, they want to score. So if they're not going to shoot it at the clip they need to, they're going to have to find other ways to make it work. And, you know, Nate Oates is a very good coach. You, you saw what he did at Buffalo. He also shares opinions with Santos and the sidekick, so we like him. We all think that Coach K is a whiner, right? So we're all on the same page there. Uh, Oates was 16-15 and 15 last year, 8-10 and 10 in the SEC, still figuring it out, right? The team's 4-3 and 3 this year. No real bad losses, Clemson-Stanford. I'm sure they'd like the Western Kentucky game back, but uh, the Hilltoppers are probably going to win Conference USA this year. They're projected to do so. So I'm interested to see how they try and work themselves out of their shooting woes and try and get back to the 82 points per game form that they were last year. I think this is a game that can be had for ETSU. Like you said, there's no correlation between the non-D1 ahead of a Power 5 we can argue all day back and forth about what prepares you better. Is it a mid-major or uh, someone closer to Alabama's level right in front of the Crimson Tie game, or is it a couple of 91s? And maybe this year the answer is different than all others anyway. I'm not sure. But in ETSU's case, as you said, there is no definite correlation. So why not look at it as, like we are, knife cuts both ways, right? Lee can come into ETSU's building, give them a fight. The Bucks can go into Tuscaloosa and – do the same thing, especially considering you have explosive scorers on this team. As you said, Jay, we're just waiting for them to put it together offensively. It's going to happen. It's absolutely going to happen. The question is when, and I do wonder just individually while we look at ETSU, if Sorrell Smith and Demari Monsanto are going to be those guys that start to emerge and really drag themselves up by their bootstraps after they've struggled, and was the last couple of games... The start of that, or was it a product of the competition they have played? Here's the stats for Monsanto and Smith the last two games. 7 of 16, 22 points, 11 rebounds for Monsanto against Columbia International and Lee. Against D1 opponents, 10 of 41, 25 points, 29 rebounds. I think the rebounding's there to stay, but clearly offensively, he was much better. Moving into the starting lineup while Smith went to the bench and went 7 of 9, 18 points, 6 steals. Against the 2 9-D1 opponents, against D1 opponents, 6 of 33. 25 points what are we going to get from those two are these roles helping them or was it just the lower level of competition that they thrive against
1: i will say smith hit one of the bigger shots of the day against Lee. it was right after lee finally took the lead and came down and 22 seconds later smith hits the tray in the corner and gives the bucks the lead for good and so i kind of feel like he has responded you know i'd like to watch those guys to see you know if you are told, hey, you got to come off the bench. How do they do? And so far, it seems like Smith's been fine with it. At least his play on the court. Now, rather that's motivated him to to show coach and teammates he needs more, or just you know figured out he can get some more shots maybe when he's not on the floor with Monsanto and Ladarius Brewer, and him and Ty Brewer can share all the shots. I, I, I don't know, but certainly it, it's worked out for both so far. How will it go against Alabama? still yet to be seen it's also competition that Smith has played against where he was week uh, day in and day out on the Big Ten a couple of couple of uh, years in the Big Ten playing a regular season games it wasn't like Smith saw no action I mean Smith was on the floor got some quality minutes just like David Sloan at Kansas State I feel like you know there is some advantages for those guys playing at the power levels and then you know for me how will Monsanto react Playing play in Alabama. This will be the biggest name that he's played. Obviously, Ladarius Brewer and Ty Brewer, at are other schools that play power five teams. So I think Monsanto may be the wild card. I think Silas Adecki's going to be very challenged. He can't get in foul trouble. That was Furman's problem. They got in foul trouble. and went to Clay Mounts, fouled out with like 70 minutes to go in a game. And you saw Furman start to go in the tank. Now, Furman's never deep. They never have been. Their starting five is usually great scoring, and then they just fall off the face of the earth once you get past that. HSU generally is not that. I will say the only correlation I can come up with, and, and uh, if you allow me to put on my goggles here, Gardner Webb loses at Western Kentucky by two. ETSU beats Gardner Webb by five. Both West Kentucky and ETSU played at home, so ETSU's is clearly you know plus three, and the West Kentucky beats Alabama by two. So by my book, ETSU plus three. Is that is that, is that how that works? Minus three.
0: I, I love Jay Sandoz logic. I mean it. Continuously impresses me. Impress I mean, I'm just, is I'm probably just a strong uh, word, I think.
1: But yeah, well, that's fair. You, you, brought yeah. up,
0: you brought up Ty Brewer. I do want to touch on him because it jogged my memory about what exactly he did to Power Fives when he was in Southeastern Louisiana. Three games against them last year, 23.5 points a game, 10 rebounds per contest. He was absolutely he th- dominant, 58% from the field and a career-high 30 against Ole Miss.
1: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You, you touched on a career-high 30 at Ole Miss, so... Uh, we'll, we'll wait and see. Airtime, 7 o'clock at 7.30 tip. 7 o'clock airtime, 7.30 tip. And we'll be back with you on Wednesday kind of recap all that. So I, don't I, do to on,
0: I do want to touch on one more thing before we go, all right, go ahead. I know we've got running up against the coaches show. Keep an eye on this because the anatomy of an upset is obviously different throughout college basketball. I, I don't think one is greater than the other. I don't think they're all similar. But ETSU and their three Power 5 wins since Jason Shea arrived, Held, a, held their opponents to less than 70 every game, hit six or more threes, were 44% or better from the field. And that's the big one this year because the only time DTSU was shot above 44% this season was against Columbia International. Haven't done it against a Division I opponent. And they've turned the ball over less than their opponent. So those four things, 44% or better from the field, hold the opponent to 70 or less, or less than 70 is even better, obviously. Six or more threes, turn the ball over less than your opponent. What Western Kentucky did was hit their free throws and ETSU in their last two Power 5 wins. hasn't necessarily needed to do that, 12-23 of 23 in those two victories. They outshot their opponent. They were better from the field than Alabama, and they out-rebounded them. Rebounding's going to be big. I think that's the huge one because ETSU was beaten on the glass by a very athletic, quite honestly. I was very surprised how athletically Lee was, pretty much up and down the roster. Uh, they had springs in their shoes. They could get up. But you never want to be out-rebounded by a lower-division or lower-level team. That's going to be something that I has to be a key, probably going to be my key to the game if the Bucks are going to pull the upset, but that being said that's not in the four criteria that I put out there what the six or more threes 70 or less for your opponent, 44% or better from the field and turning the ball over to last
1: There you go, alright, any more? Free. Well, there I it mean, is. Feel
0: free to give your own too I mean, I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there
1: No, I, no? I, listen, no, I've already one. told you, you by uh, score of transit property, which we know is a thing in sports clearly a three point win for T.S.U. Yeah I don't see how anybody doesn't see that logic, how it doesn't work out, and how it goes. Now, hopefully uh, none of the coaches and players hear me or anything, or I uh, seriously doubt I'm making a message for it at Alabama. Who knows? Right now it's football season, right? They, I'm probably just, not breaking news here, but
0: us. I think our brains work a little different.
1: <laughs> yes, I agree with that, as most radio guys do. So that'll be it. Don't forget, Wild Wing Cafe. I'll be down there calling the game live tomorrow, 7 o'clock is the pregame show, 7.30 tip, the Crimson Tide, and your ETSU is Jason Shane, the Bucks trying to go to 5-3, and three, and the first win in the state of Alabama non-conference since 1978. Sanderson Sidekick, back with you Wednesday, Buccaneers Sports Network. Cowboy yeah, you up and go play ball.